What I didn't realize until I did the training actually as to become a business coach is that you can choose how you react to any situation. I never knew that. I just thought this, you, you get a job and you, you keep your nose clean and you kind of go along with whatever happens. You're very reactive about things. And th that's what we do um, in the coaching sense is to raise people's consciousness about who they are, what they're doing, and, and particularly, you'll know from the course, why would you do that? Why are you actually doing that? Ask yourself the difficult question. Capitalism isn't a bad thing. It is a bad thing when it is part of a, uh, a lack of purpose, or the purpose is to build shareholder value. Because all it is, is about exploiting one group of people to make another group of people wealthier. Hello and welcome to another bout of unboxing. Today my sparring partner is Gordon Bull. Gordon was originally the CEO of a successful firm of chartered accountants, but in the last 15 years or so has focused his efforts on being a business coach. I am actually partaking in one of his courses at the moment, so I am starting to get more and more familiar with Gordon's work. But Gordon's coaching really focuses around helping busy entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, and owners have more time, um, make more money and have less stress, which I think are, are three things that, you know, pretty much everyone can go for. So Gordon, welcome to the ring. Great to have you in here. Thank you. Yeah. Pleased to be here. And having seen some of your work, Harry, which uh, I'm very impressed with, um, it, it's nice to sort of have them, um, uh, an audience, albeit a view one at the moment, and then hopefully a few more, to um, share my thoughts. But it also with the questioning, having seen the way you do the questioning, I think it's great. And as I said to you, um, the questions at the end, I think particularly are just very thought-provoking. And, and um, in the coaching world, we have a, a, a sort of a, a KPI, really. When you're working with a, a client and they ask they remark back to you oh that's a good question you know you've done your job yeah. you know the, the, the job the job of the coach is to ask the right question yeah and uh you if you go through an hour two three what a day coaching with a client and if you get one or two oh blimey that's a good question you go yeah that hit the back of the net sort of thing yeah yeah exactly now it'll be it'll be interesting i've i've been really really keen to get you on um sort of you know ever since we first first started chatting really because yeah I, d I don't know I think especially for that kind of to hear the for the younger generation to hear a little bit more about your views and I feel like you know there's there's some things in there that will resonate as well um you know not not saying that all your clients are, are much older Gordon but <laughs> um it's actually <laughs> funny Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you, so the way that, the way that we actually originally know each other is, um, you, you were at one point, my dad's business coach, um, must've been well, yeah. more is accountant, more, more is accountant. accountant, tried to do a bit of coaching, but how did it, it... Like to do a bit. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I think we had a very, um, chance encounter at some golf club, um, where we sort of put two and two together that you, you'd helped, um, coached my dad back in the day and we just yeah kind of started to speak quite a similar language I think and uh yeah and then you know a couple of years later I, I passed on the details for unboxing and um 
yeah, we've started chatting ever since. Yeah, and it's been, a, a, yes, a, an interesting journey along the way. And it was Chromehurst that, that we met at a couple of years ago. You said right. we had a quick chat. And I think you were doing your golf business at the time. Yeah, yeah. I was doing one putt. Yeah. Yeah. One putt, that's right. Yeah, that's something right. Something like that. Which has been, uh, yeah, so, struck down a bit by the, the pandemic. And uh, I'll never miss a, an opportunity to have a chat. And I was uh, I was in the queue the other day uh, to get my vaccine at Sellers Park. Oh, yeah. And uh, I chatted to two people in the queue and uh, gave my business card to one of them. <laughs> Great stuff. Always networking. There you go. Well, it, it, just, it comes from a source of uh, just having chats to people. And the chat was very much how are they doing in lockdown? And they both work in at some level in hospitality. And, um, of course, there's been nothing for them. Uh, and one of them particularly was looking at a change of career. So um, I've just said to her, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the three circle um, model about purpose, skills uh, and uh, knowledge. And it just helps people get a little bit of clarity again, uh, like you're looking for. It just helps them move on in their clarity about what should I be doing yeah. with my life. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of people um, doing exactly that, even though the Chancellor today, uh, I believe, is likely to extend furlough for another um, four months, I think, to July, and then August and September it will carry on for, but they're looking for the employers to contribute more to it. But an awful lot of people who are on furlough, I know, since last March, April, have said, well, it feels like it's a waiting room to redundancy. Yeah. Some have... <laughs> Some have waited and some many have jumped ship and thought, well, I'll go and get another job while the going's good yeah. and have changed industry completely. And I yeah. think, as again, the writing's on the wall that it should come to an end later in the year and the, the economy's in a bad way. I say a bad way. We can talk more about that later. But mm. um, a lot of people, it's, it's a real um, watershed moment um, to say, yeah, am, am I doing the right thing? Am I particularly fulfilled? awful lot of stuff about mental well-being or lack of it uh, and again there's an opportunity for people to reset and say i've been doing whatever it is for the last five years ten years whatever um is that really what i want to be doing yeah and do you there think is that that reset phase is 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 a is almost this a kind of universal process that that people at some point in their lives go through when they maybe start their own business or you know look look to <laughs> look to unbox i guess, i guess is the is the term that i'd uh, i'd use um i yeah maybe i hadn't thought about that that's a good question so one to you one there <laughs> <laughs> not that anybody's keeping score yeah. but uh, i think it's a really good question you know when i was uh, growing up, and I mean in a business sense and a business owner sense, um, it's, well, you, one came across a number of people that were labelled as having had a midlife crisis. Now, one of the one of the models that we use uh, in in the coaching in the Sheldon's coaching is a thing called stages, which shows stages of life and business and all sorts of things. And often, when you get um, um, an economic reset or shock as we've got now and we did have um, 15 years ago uh, it does cause a lot of things to happen that were happening anyway the pandemic and the shutdown of the high street and retail 
has just accelerated the death of the high street. And that everyone knew that was happening, but it was all going along nicely, nicely, and shopping centers weren't being built new and all that kind of stuff. And that's just accelerated it. So mm-hmm. if people were in any shape or form not particularly enamored with their job, career, or vocation, this just brings in a massive pump of energy. And that's what we do with coaching all the time. It's all about follow the energy. There is a huge amount of energy out there in the economy, which is partly just fear. You know, people hate uncertainty. So uh, as we go through the next um, stages of the unlocking, I heard something on the, or saw something on the television this morning about there are now people who are scared about going back to work. You know, they've got used to the idea of, of um, like me, coming down downstairs, have breakfast, go back up, have a shower and, and walk down and sit at my dining room table, you know. And, have some uh, of your spirits behind you. And and, and just uh, knock back a couple of drinks early on, but just post-breakfast, you know, have, have a large large brandy with the cornflakes and uh, <laughs> you, you're set for the day sort of thing. But uh, there's now the fact that, oh, yeah, do I want to get on a train and go to London? Do I want to get in my car and go around the M25 to see a client for a whole day? Are they going to pay for that? Um, is that too much? You know, coaching I've done online tends to be between one and two hours max. Um, so there's fear around. There's an awful lot of fear about. Mm, interesting. But, but I was going to say, but fear is, is not, is, in a way, fear isn't necessarily something to be scared of. <laughs> mm. It's actually fear is, a, fear is a survival instinct thing. You know, fear is there for a good reason. And, uh, and it's just a question with the emotional intelligence stuff. It's just a question of learning to, to work with the fear. Mm. So you mustn't be scared. It's right. I'm, there is fear now. What am I going to do about it? Yeah. Sort of going into that slightly unknown situation and starting to be comfortable with that uncertainty, I guess. Hello. I hope you are enjoying the show so far. I just wanted to take the time in this short break to bring to your awareness a little Facebook group that I run, totally free, called The Unboxing Gym. And I'm always looking to connect with innovators doing exciting and new things. So if any of this show resonates with you and you feel you could benefit from connecting with um, a wide array of other innovators, do just simply drop me a message and I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the rest of the show. So I I just wanted to ask you, just kind of relating it back to your own experiences, like, you know, I know know you were a CEO of of an accounting firm. So, and then you sort of transitioned into becoming a business coach and focusing on that. So maybe could you relate it to your own experiences of that transition? And maybe like, was there a bit of a reset process for you in there? Yeah, completely. And um, I think one of our early conversations, uh, one of my um, soapbox um, subjects is the fact that education in this, in this country, it's not just this country, I think it's education around the world. A lot of the world's education is based on British education system, but it's actually flawed. It doesn't produce necessarily good citizens. It produces people that can pass, that can be quite academic, 
but they don't necessarily know how to be good citizens. Um, and they don't get taught life skills. They kind of learn them as they go along because schools are, are like that. But in terms of the formal side of education, I, I'm not sure it, it equips people um, to be good citizens of, of um, tomorrow. So I was brought up, I went to a grammar school and um, it was very much a, an academic good grammar school. Um, and I wasn't very academic. So it was fine that I played rugby. Uh, and so that sort of meant that I was part of the gang, although academically I was a bit of a basket case. Um, I didn't go to university because I, I, um, I got three, I took four A-levels, got three grade E's and a fail. And the one I failed was maths, which meant my, my career was destined to be an accountant. And I used to love set, telling my clients that I failed maths A-levels. And uh, again, I'd go a little bit on to, yeah, but accounting doesn't need mathematics. It just needs arithmetic. And I've had a bugbear about language ever since. Accounting is, a, is arithmetic. If you want to bother, there's a bit of statistics in there, but uh, it's really arithmetic. Add, subtract, multiply, divide, and percentages. So I did that. I got, went into my uncle's accounting practice because I didn't know what to do. Then they said there's some exams to do. So I did some exams, which was bizarre, considering my academic record. And I don't know how I did it. I owe my wife a lot of um, love and attention for keeping me um, on track doing my exams. And I passed my chartered accountants exams and I stayed in practice. Not for the accounting. I just loved dealing with people, real people like your father. But there was always a sense of um, I, I, I found myself in that position because I didn't know what else to do. And that went on for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, happily married, children, successful practice, quite satisfying work, but not really. Um, and then I, I met a guy from Australia called Darren Sherlaw, who'd been brought over by a, a friend of mine um, to talk about business coaching. And I went along to a presentation at the um, Aerodrome Hotel in Croydon. And this guy just presented to a room of, um, dare I say it, uh, middle-aged then. <laughs> more middle-aged white men generally um and he just blew me away with the ip the uh, the models about how to run it i thought as an accountant and doing accounts for business owners for decades i thought i knew a bit about business but actually i knew not a lot and when he when he started to show some of the the, the material i just went wow that is so cool all of my clients will want this i thought wrongly so i went back to the office and i said to my partners i've just met this australian fellow who's got this wonderful system for growing businesses and we should put it into all our clients but we should have it first so we became their in fact their second client in uk um uh, but uh, we had them in coaching us for two or three years i think and that was brilliant and i liked it so much that i became a coach and that that was my road to damascus moment was seeing the presentation of how to run a business in diagrammatic form. And I thought everyone would want it and decided to sell it into our client base. And the reality is for a lot of business owners, there is a, there is a personal pride in that I did it myself. And there is also a piece around, um, certainly in my age group, there is a, um, uh, um, a stigma almost for that for that generation of being seen to ask for help i think it's less so in in my children and same as your generation and younger there is a, a more openness to taking some support and help 
and advice from people around you. But certainly my age, the baby boomers, um, there's a pretty big reluctance to, to be seen to be needing outside views and help and support. Um, so uh, that didn't go as well as I wanted, but I just found that was my moment to, to answer your question, really, when mm. I saw that presented, thought that's what I want to do. I hated doing accounts, as I then realised, up until then, it was a means to an end. I earned well, we got a nice house, able to provide for the family, successful, well-respected locally, all of that kind of stuff. So a lot of the things you could tick the boxes. But the reality was when I had that realisation, I want to do coaching, well, why do I want to do coaching? Because I want people to have a better chance of running a business successfully. So many of my clients really sweated blood, and sweat and tears to get through because nobody was ever taught to run a business. Most of them found themselves in business. And I thought I can help them have a better life by sharing and mm. coaching material with them. So all of a sudden, having found that clarity, it meant, oh, I don't really like accounting anymore. <laughs> having done having done it for 30 odd years, you go, oh, but, I, that, but that's not true. I'm, that's fine because I now know it's a, it's a blend of the two. My experience yeah. in the accounting world it blends brilliantly with the uh, business coaching IP and just my general commercial experience makes for a very um, strong mix uh, when I'm talking to clients. So a lot of my work is sort of a blend of coaching and consulting. Mm -hmm. But that was the that was the yeah. realization that came yeah. and hit me that actually there is something different. Yeah. I can but do something different. It's interesting. And I, 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 you know, even though it happened at different, you know, stages in our life, that, that sounds very similar to a process that I went through when I was in a job that, yeah, I was just kind of felt like I was going through the motions a bit more. And then you kind of get a spark of inspiration that, that does happen in that kind of road to Damascus way. And your life sort of changes from then on in a way that you can't really ever go back to. Yeah. So I just wanted to like drill down on that and ask you, you know, that going from that just kind of means to an end mindset to suddenly you've got this kind of purpose and a reason to wake up and a kind of higher, higher purpose. Like what's your view on, on that process? And is that something that you're looking to, you know, induce and bring out in your coaching? Uh, it, do you think that's a really important thing for business owners to have that kind of purpose led attitude? Completely. And I think um, also that that is gathering momentum now. Uh, and I think you and I spoke <clears throat> some weeks ago that, um, about just capitalism and how it serves the world. Uh, and where a big watershed moment was um, back in the purpose of a corporation uh, that was dealt with back in um, 1970, I think it was. Um, and a, 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 I can't remember his name now, it might have been Milton Friedman. And he said that the purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder value. And unfortunately, even uh, pre the internet, that kind of went around the world. And unfortunately, again, business and industry uh, took that as the absolute, right, that's brilliant. Uh, that's all we got to do now. 
Um, and interestingly, on, on reading up around the subject, um, once that kind of got gained some traction, both in the New York Stock Exchange and the London Stock Exchanges and others around the world, it kind of took the pressure off um, CEOs by making them have a single purpose. All I've got mm. to do is maintain the share price increase. How do we do that? Well, we increase profits. Dramatically, again, reading on this the other day, um, when you measured companies' corporate gifting to charities, it dropped for the next 20 years in a row. And now isn't that staggering? Yeah. It's not surprising, but when you get, oh, crikey, that's the consequence of having one very monocular aim mm. is to increase profit and thus increase shareholder value. And then what that does is it actually um, feeds into the fear for the CEO and they make decisions based on fear that their job and their reward system and the reward system for CEOs became share options and all the rest of it. And because of that fear then running through, they made decisions based on fear, not on making the world a better place. And in my coaching, what I do at a very small level, I don't coach any big corporation at all. Most of mine are owner-managed businesses uh, between one and 35 people. Um, but what I didn't realize until I did the Sherlock's training, actually, as to become a business coach, is that you can choose how you react to any situation. I never knew that. I just thought this you, you get a job and you, you keep your nose clean and you kind of go along with whatever happens. You're very reactive about things. And a lot of people might say, well, that's a typical accountant. And it is to a large extent because an accountant is always accounting for, for historical events. And I didn't like that. And once I realized, actually, you can influence future events by helping the business owners make better decisions that will have better outcomes. And then into the idea of actually the way you choose in any one situation to react to it. I never knew there was a choice. So one of the first things I do with my clients is take them through uh, an old and new paradigm exercise, which, uh, have you seen that one? Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely love it. Yeah. So, and, and the context for it is choice. I never knew there was a choice. I thought that's just how one was and how one made decisions. But no, actually, you can choose something completely different. And, and that's what I look to unlock in my clients, whether it be a single person business or one, a startup or one that's in existence. I mean, I, I've worked with a client um, a few years ago. He sold his business now. But at that time I started working with him, I think he had 80 or 90 people. Um, and he grew it to 130, 140 people over the next five years or so. Um, and he really did try and grasp the idea of having more of a purpose. He was a very purposeful man himself. Um, so he was what you'd call a very good employer. But he had no consciousness that he was. And that's what we do um, in the coaching sense is to raise people's consciousness about who they are, what they're doing. And, and particularly, you'll know from the course, it's why would you do that? Why are you actually doing that? Ask yourself the difficult question. Why am I bothering to do this? It's, again, helping the, the, the business owner. And I've done it as we do it as exercises um, to actually work out their intent and their purpose in life. And that, as you said uh, a little while ago on the call, it just makes all the difference if you have uh, a higher purpose, that you're, you're making the world a better place. Getting up in the morning, talking to people in a, a queue at the vaccination centre, 
Um, it's just the stuff of life story. And that's at some level what I think you do um, with these uh, unboxing sessions. Everybody's got a story and most stories have, will have little nuggets in them that might, will mean something to someone else. Yeah, brilliantly said. There's there's so much in there that I want to unpack, but yeah, I couldn't help sort of just smile about the that kind of old new paradigm and awakening to that choice. I thought that was just really well put because I think you know that that really resonates with how it worked for me. So I I wanted to just hone in on that before we go on and actually kind of relate it potentially to the education system and how mm-hmm. Like I think that is probably the most important thing in life. Like if you can realize that you have that choice, that 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 kind of that awaken to that power of you can create the outcome. Like you you yeah. are you are responsible, you are accountable, um, rather than kind of that old paradigm of I'm at the effect of and I'm just going through the motions and whatever happens to me creates my outcome rather than the other way around. So uh, like from my observation, the education system and the narrative and just the jet, like you, you really have to work that out for yourself somehow. And it, it comes out usually, as you say, by crisis and, you know, things have to really hit rock bottom and then, you kind of wake up to a better way of doing things, or at least that's how it happened to me. So, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on whether the education system could do a better job of kind of educating our much younger generation in that way and sort of trying to foster this sense of more choice and more creativity and like kind of let them lead with purpose where they want to go and support them rather than Mm. the other way around where it's kind of like you're quieting down that that kind of creative drive and the purpose drive. And you're saying, no, this is what you have to do for 18 years, kind of follow orders, follow orders, follow orders. This is the way it's done. And it's only in these kind of more minority cases or crisis cases where people actually realize that they do have that choice and they can go and, you know, create the life that they want with purpose. Um, So yeah, a a lot, a lot that I've kind of thrown back at you there, but um, yeah, I'm interested, I think to, to boil down the question is, is like, can we do a better job like as a society of of really you know waking people up to that that new paradigm at an earlier age do you think oh completely i mean children are um incredibly what's the word responsive they're like sponges uh, and they do absorb everything around them from a very young age they they get um I don't say condition, I'm not sure it's quite the right word, but it's very much, you know, the old nature-nurture argument. There, there is an awful lot of nurture that people, children pick up by the atmosphere around them. And going through school, um, academically, grammar school, um, they were a bit like the, the, um, uh, the, the economist saying, CEOs have one job, uh, is to maximise shareholder value. Schools are told, particularly grammar schools, are told, you've got one job, get them out of here with some exams. And if you can get send them to Oxford or Cambridge or the top ten universities in the country, and that that and that's all the teachers thought. They had no real ambition to do much else. They became a single purpose organisation. And just jumping in there, do you do you think that's linked? So what you said before about how like there was this dogma of capitalism of just that one yeah. the one thing being profit, and then do you think kind of the education system fed that 
in that yeah. it, it just had this one sole purpose of pro- purpose isn't that important get yeah. them out and, and make sure that they're going to drive that <laughs> drive yeah. you know the profit absolutely right so the single purpose stuff just get them out of here with some decent grades and make sure nobody kills anybody in the school as far as possible so i think it took away and then doing all the ofsted stuff because bear in mind i've been a school governor um there's a school i, I had some connections with over in mitchell they had i think it's a primary school 53 different nationalities in the school and i think english was the first language of less than half of the pupils and the fact that they again kept the school running very well because I went in there for a few visits. They did a, it was a beautiful cultural school. Academically, yes, they missed a lot of targets. But you go, leave them alone. They're doing a great job. You're just running the wrong context of mm-hmm. academic achievement in this school. Mm-hmm. But Ofsted didn't seem to be, they did later on start to adjust it. But it, it's just crass, really. So the single purpose for the schools is get exams and get people through here. If they happen, like me, I was half decent at rugby. So I, I survived, but I got my three E's at A-level and went into the family firm. But going back to your original question, the stuff we do, I do in the coaching, like paradigm and how to make choices and just having an awareness of how you feel in situations is crucial. Emotional intelligence is becoming more of a thing now. And emotional intelligence can be taught to parents as well as children of three. So if you teach the parents in nursery about emotional intelligence and how to apply that, and you have got half a chance of breaking the cycle that children grow up responding to the way their parents have raised them. And the school can be involved in that, but the school can teach old paradigm, new paradigm. They can bring um, emotional intelligence into it. They can bring stages of life into it. They can give, like you know, from the work we've done on the course about personal branding. There's loads of stuff about personal branding and image, but it actually could should be taught. Mm. And it should be taught from the age of five. But if you show up as the class joker all the time, you know, is that what you want? You know, and it's it's not a problem, but just choose. Just understand that if you're just going to joke all the time, this this is now positioning you with your mates and the teachers and everybody else. And let's just talk through the consequences. So you can teach these things, uh, and it's just in the in the broadest sense harry it's just life skills and i wish i'd had these when i was growing up so i want to just zoom out and go back to this discussion around the sit the kind of wider situation in the economy at the moment with capitalism and i think you know, a lot, there's a lot of crisis that is, that is happening. I think, you know, based on that, um, the dogma that you outlined of, you know, the, the one sole purpose is, is the profit for the shareholder, you know, and that, that dogma has continued for, you know, 50 years or so. And I think we've seen this really, it, it really come to a crisis point with the, A, the environmental um, mm. issues and B, the, the social issues, I think. You know, there's so much being talked about the environment and how, you know, a, a, a complete wide array of companies are not that they're, they're 
what they're doing is is in line with maximizing profit but not in line with the benefit of the environment and equally you know companies like facebook and amazon and, and all these you know huge companies really are, are are really being questioned you know blm was another movement of kind of questioning the way that that the society runs and just you know companies needing to wake up to more you know diversity in the workplace and it's it's all a bit of this kind of chaotic and there's a load of labels and no one really <laughs> knows exactly what's going on but i think the thing is clear that or at least from my perspective is that the the whole system really is being questioned by in a lot of different angles and at the end of the day like it's a capitalist society and the way that businesses are running need to become more you know purpose-led so where i want where i'd like to sort of take this conversation in the last 20 minutes is how we can really undo some of the things that we've we've spoken about up to now on the podcast like this you know one track mind of you know education system being get good grades you know means to an end to just generate this this profit and you've said before to me like off air on, on another chat that this is a like a point a, an important sort of phase that we're going through as a human race where we're actually we're we're, we're growing in our level of consciousness around business and mm. how society runs so i mean even though it's a, a huge question like what are some of the things that need to be how do we you know undo this how do we create a more conscious sustainable society um that's you know, more sustainable from an environmental perspective and a social perspective and fosters more people being in this kind of purpose-led, creative mindset, new paradigm? Well, I think you, you've got to, I think I suppose I'd start off by saying um, we are not without hope, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> the world is becoming a better place. And um, whilst a lot of doom mongers and uh, doomsayers uh, are very much head in hands. Oh my God, the world's never been worse. By most measures, whether it be the World Bank or the World Health Organization, even with the pandemic, most measures, the world is a better place. It's a healthier place. There are fewer people killed in wars. There are fewer people killed in atrocities. There are fewer people dying in childbirth. There are more young women being educated than ever before. Stuff like that. Um, and there's more awareness now of our effect on the environment. Uh, that's still building into any real action. Um, albeit, I think, again, the pandemic has accelerated um, that consciousness and awareness um, with the lack of pollution, that relative lack of pollution that's happened in the last year. But the big, the big problem now, I think, about the planet and all the rest of it, the environmental effect, is just our consumption. You know, Amazon um, had just gone absolutely mental uh, with the amount of business that they do. And people in lockdown with their furlough payments uh, have had it up to a, some people have had a great time and they order stuff every day. They, and I, I include myself, not every day, but it's, it's unusual now. We probably get three or four deliveries a week here. And it's just stuff we would have picked up at a shop before. So it's not necessarily extra consumption, but consumption is our big problem now. And that is going to be a difficult habit to break. Um, going back on the other side of it, the capitalism thing um, is capitalism isn't a bad thing. It is a bad thing when it is part of a, uh, a lack of purpose. 
or the purpose is to build shareholder value. Because all it is, is about exploiting one group of people to make another group of people wealthier. Mm-hmm. And that, that is not right. Whereas if you apply the capitalist principles, which is to make a profit, at the end of the day, the sort of definition is capitalism is about accruing capital. And it's good to have capital at times because you can then invest. If you don't, if you're living on an income basis of we spend everything we get, you, it's kind of just a hand-to-mouth existence. But if you make a profit and you invest, it enables you to have returns over a longer period and you can change things over a longer period. If you don't have capitalism, you can't. But what we need is capitalism fueling the purpose. The purpose should sit above, the, be- the purpose of saving the planet and making the world a better place should sit above shareholder value. And that should, so shareholder value um, should actually, yes, you can have a shareholder a return to shareholders, but actually, if we all subscribe to a business that's going to make a, a difference to the planet, we'll get a ray return on investment, but we shouldn't be able to cane it. That should be reinvested. And those are, what do you call them, public interest bodies and things like that. And government has a massive role. And of course, part of the problem we've got with the gigantic companies um, like Walmart and Amazon and Google Facebook, they're not democratically elected, and yet they affect our lives far more than anybody knows. And they're still affecting our, our lives far more than anybody, but nobody elected them. That's the problem. And I, I, I hope, although I read yesterday that Sunak's not going to do anything about it, we should be taxing Amazon far more heavily than we are now. Um, but we, we don't seem to have the, um, the balls, I think, can't think of a better word. Uh, we don't seem to have the nerve uh, to attack Amazon, and sorry, not attack. Ask them to pay their fair dues for exploiting our population, which they do massively. And uh, it's as I say, they're not elected these these huge, and they're not just those. There's the Gazprom, the Russian uh, energy supplier. There's um, oh, who's Jack, the Chinese company, Alibaba, um, uh, that is worth billions now. Um, Nobody knows who they are particularly. We didn't elect them, and yet they control uh, large elements of our life. So there's something got to be changed about that. The world is getting better. I think awareness, and there there was a big article I was going to show you. Shareholder value is, this one here, shareholder value is is no longer everything. Say CEOs, it's just two years ago, it's 19, um, summer 19. Chief executives from the business roundtable, including Apple, JP Morgan, Chase, um, New York Times uh, and others were all. They had a meeting last year and said, "No, it's not about that. It's about making the world a better place." That's two years ago, and more are now uh, getting on board with that. That real shareholder value has got to include the ESG stuff, the environmental, social, and geographic impact of things. So, rather than just measuring the pure pound note profit of a business. They're starting to measure their environmental impact as well. And if CEOs get rewarded on that, because there's got to be a carrot and a stick mm. around it, the change. And if the big CEO, CEOs of big organizations can be given the permission by the markets to say, yeah, we, d- we don't care whether you make a billion next year, but if you inv- if you planted a billion trees, that'd be great. I think capitalism is a good thing, but it needs to be applied to purposeful leadership around Yep. big corporates and then then it will filter down filter down yeah yeah i think it's that 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 trifecta almost of the business leaders 
the government and the consumers have all the more kind of transparency and awareness that's flowing yeah. between those three i think yeah. the better the better situation could be because no no it, again it's the it's the consciousness of it isn't it because no one's actually going no we want to run a business that's really bad for the planet it's just there's not kind of people aren't fully transparent and aware what the consequences of the way that they're running things are if that makes sense yeah so it's not like a case of you know condemning people as such um but yeah i'm just going to play like just playing devil's advocate i just and picking up on the like you say you know it's not about completely caning it but actually just like reinvesting some of the profits but yeah. yet you'll have you know these so many investors of public companies around the world being like where are my where are my dividends and if they're going well they're going to be reinvested because you know of the environment and everything so i'm just I don't know if it's if I, I just don't know whether it will happen, basically, because I think it's it's a it's a, it's a change that's got to happen on an individual level at the end of the day of yeah. kind of being like, actually, I'm going to take a more minimalistic approach to life and take a purpose led yeah. approach to life and just not trying to accrue, accrue as much money as possible. And I I just don't know if that is such a is going to be such a you know simple change, but it'll take a long time but that that's how i see it no i think you're absolutely right and um you know you you're quite right about the it's up to the individuals and um for a lot of individuals it's um how's that going to affect me and what's in it for me and it it takes quite a big call to say well the planet is um dying or we're killing it therefore uh if my wife and i decide therefore not to have delivery of something that's going to come in some god awful packaging um, that actually will help. Making our clothes last longer will help. But you know, we've got a wedding coming up. We've got to buy. I've got to buy a new suit. But if I was really serious about saving the planet, I'd get out one of my old suits. You know. And so, yeah, changing those habits. There's got to be something in it. And maybe until the planet's actually on fire, and the fire is at your door, you know, you don't change. But having said all that, the the, the greatest agent of change. Uh, somebody I saw somebody on telly the other day. I think. It's, it's the youth of today that haven't been completely contaminated with the way we've run the planet up to now. Hence, you have to get um, the education into schools about it. And that's happening with the likes of Greta Thunberg, um, uh, let alone um, uh, Attenborough with the Blue Planet. You know, that does resonate with a lot of people. But what you want are, are the key wealthy people, you know, the Bill Gates of this world, and Elon Musk, and um, Bezos, and Jack Ma, and uh, the million, billionaires and millionaires, and just understand it's in their own interest, because they're going to be the last one left with billions in the bank and no one else on the planet, um, sort of thing. And um, what would be the point of that? And I think that relates back to the other couple of themes that we've talked about, is that it's you know the the old the kind of fear paradigm scarcity paradigm versus the new paradigm and if it's purpose led it's kind of well i'll start with the lifestyle and the what i want to do with my life and then find a way that the money can support that and be practical about it versus right i'm just going to get like loads in the bank first and just focus on that and then if i can like sort of live a lifestyle that i want as well brilliant it's sort of like a bonus mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's a different mindset there as well on the individual level. Do you know the um, 
the the monkey and banana parable haven't heard of it right so if you, what happens if you give a monkey a banana what does he do with it he will eat it yeah what happens if you give a monkey a bunch of bananas he will he'll eat as many as he can <laughs> but yeah and then he'll share what he can't eat right what happens if you give a monkey a truckload of bananas? I imagine he'll he'll do the same. No, he gets or store security. store. Yeah, he gets security to protect the bananas. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of a. I mean, it's it's a funny story somebody told me years ago about it about human nature that you don't need to hang on to all those things, but somehow that as you said that paradigm of scarcity and fear it's exaggerated as soon and, and that's what marxism and socialism does is the idea that um who is it the french revolutionary proudhon he's the one that said that property is theft mm, yeah i've, I've read you, yeah there's a guy called, yeah. things, you're depriving someone else of it mm, mm. and therefore we should have one shirt one pair of shoes one pair of trousers one, you know, there's no point in having multiples of things. Property is theft. Uh, but human nature is such that we are, once we get ownership of things, and, you know, the Buddhists will tell you this, once you can actually uh, eschew ownership, life becomes very great. And mm. you rely on, on the arms of people, the, the goodness of people um, to look after you. If you can do that, you know, which is jump out the plane without a parachute kind of fear. If you can do that, trusting that there's a safety net down there. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's very liberating. I haven't got the nerve to do it either. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, love it. I love that. Love that rounding off. Um... Brilliant stuff. And let, let's jump into the final round um, because, yeah, I asked these questions um, and I know you're itching to answer them. So the first question was, um, what's something that you believe that most people don't or something that you don't believe that most people do? So what I believe that most people don't is that the world is getting better. I sort of mentioned it earlier. You talk to all my, most of my friends and contemporaries um, and they will say, yeah, the, the world's in a terrible mess. And I, I, I get that I'm up to a point, you know, it's much worse than when I was growing up or when I was in business or when I was at work, everything's terrible. And it isn't. If you actually look at all the measurables, life is so much better. I've even got friends of mine who sort of hanker after their, their first car in the 19, uh, early night. Cars in the 70s were shit, you know. <laughs> compared with a modern car. And say, oh, yeah, well, that's better too, yeah. Well, actually, and home heating's much better. The way they build homes is much better. The roads are much better. Uh, but people don't see that. They like to go into that old paradigm and have a moan is, is the problem. Maybe it's just my friends. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, at the fear of going on for another half an hour here, which I feel like we could, um, how would you say that links to the, the media and how the, the, you know, the mainstream media kind of, paints a picture of yeah. the world Did you say Everything it's linked yeah completely completely and sorry I, I, there's a sort of semi-answer to something we talked about before but we can deal with it another time is the fact that 
part of the answer to this is the internet and the connectivity. I know there's a load of um, misinformation on there, but the internet and the connectivity of people who want to do good is the key to changing this. That, that connectivity around the world is just unbelievable now. Mm. And yes, it, 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 it creates a forum for the right wing and the, uh, the ultras about anything and the anti-vaxxers and the, the, the conspiracy theorists, all of that. But yes, it has a, but the majority of people, the majority of the time are, are well-intentioned, I believe. And mm. that will only get better. Um, and what's the Bible thing? Um, the meek shall inherit the earth because of the internet. Yep. And then question two is, and I, I guess, you know, the whole conversation has been around this point. So I guess this for this question, maybe if you could hone in on something a little bit more specific, but yeah, it's how would you like the world to be different in five years time? I would like there to be more international accord on the climate change um, protocols and have serious targets. See, I think that at the moment, the electric car industry is somewhat, again, it's just driven by profit. Everyone's going battery and they think they're doing a great job. But we're just stacking up a load of problems about where we mine all the stuff that goes into batteries and how we're going to recycle those in due course. You know, we're, we're clearing forests and, and land in South America, particularly, I believe, where an awful lot of the, the um, uh, chemicals come to make batteries. But the rest of the car, the metal and the rubber and the plastic that goes into it is still coming from somewhere and going to have to be dumped at some point. So I think that's a little bit of a red herring. Climate change under control. The protocols are more serious and the protocols are more adhered to. And there, there is some consensus in the world that actually, if we don't do something, it will catch fire. So that's the big thing for me. The, the more esoteric piece is about a consciousness, the emotional intelligence. Fear, fear runs us. Fear is what's made the human race as successful as it is because it's a survival emotion uh, and it's there for a reason. But we just learn to deal with it better. Having changed the, the circumstances and education um, has emotional intelligence and life skills put in to families at a much younger stage, much earlier stage in, in a family's development. Brilliant stuff um, and well said. Uh... The only final thing is your unboxing track. So, yeah, rather than a track to play you into the ring, you, you can pick a, a song to uh, either summarize the conversation or your life or whatever. Um, but, yeah, pick a track to play you out and explain why. Um, the track is The Future So Bright by Tim Buck Three. I don't know if you know it. I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, just Sounds relevant. It is. Well, it is. And I played it. Um, I did a speech to the stick form at the school where I was a governor. And my speech to the, the um, was actually very much in keeping with what we talked about today. Uh, I, and I did clear it with the head of sick form. But it's basically I, there were I don't know, 200, 200 students in the hall. And I was giving a talk about what I do. And, all the and I just asked them to put their hands up at the beginning and say, who in the hall, 200 people doing 200 students doing A levels, basically. Uh, I said, how many in the room are thinking of starting their own business? So out of 200, how many hands do you think went up? Yeah, two. Ten. 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 So 5%, which actually I was quite surprised at how many that yeah. was. But there were 10 hands went up. So 190 people 
are going through the sausage machine that you and I talked about earlier, but they're just focusing on getting their grades to go and uh, either to university, which is the majority, or uh, they had job offers already, but they were concentrating on getting their grades, not actually thinking about doing business. So, um, and this was a little while ago, so um, probably 10 years ago now, I suppose. And uh, it was just, so I, I got this song to be played as well, because I think if you take responsibility, choices, make choices for your own benefit that suit you, suit your purposefulness and all the rest of it, don't worry about the exams, which is the bit I declare with the uh, head of sick form. Yeah, it's okay, boys and girls, don't worry about the exams. Um, just just crack on, find your, find your true purpose, you know. And the trouble is the parents don't like that kind of thing. They say, yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah. because of Ofsted and because of the grades and all the exams come out every year, you must get your grades. That's a fearful approach. And again, where parents need to be helped to cope with that with their children. Because otherwise we're just perpetuating the cycle. So the future's so bright. It said uh, the, the the lyric goes something along the lines of "I'm doing all right. I'm getting good grades. The future's show, so the future's so bright. I've got to wear shades." <laughs> and it ends up with brilliant. Yeah, love it. I look forward to to listening to that, looking up the lyrics, and and yeah, playing it out for this podcast. Gordon, it's been great fun. I've really enjoyed the, the conversation. Yeah. And, um, Me too, Harry. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for giving up your time and, um, yeah, coming in the ring for a spa. I studied nuclear science. I love my classes. I got a crazy teacher who wears dark glasses. Things are going great.